from Spam 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 Humbug. I'm Kenneth Cooley, better known as WTF Dragon, and this is a complete reading of Andrea Cantato's Through the Moongate. Chapter 11. Escape from Mount Drash to Origin Systems, Incorporated. Contrary to rumors, Gary was fully aware of the game and consented to the use of the Ultima name to help out Zabalui, whose game would not otherwise have been published by Sierra. Giant Bomb Review of Escape from Mount Drash. Technically, everybody is freelance, including myself, Chuck, Charles Boucher, and I actually work in the office, so we call ourselves resident freelancers. We're the only two resident freelancers, but we do have three outside freelancers who do both translations and some original work. Also, Andy Greenberg, author of Wizardry, is working for us. He's currently working on a new game called Ogre that should be ready in the next couple of months. Richard Garriott, interviewed by Peter Ellison, ROM Magazine, Volume 1, Issue 6, June 1984. When Richard, his father Owen, his brother Robert, and his friend Chuck Boucher decided to start a company, I was invited to join by investing $5,000 for a 5% stake in the company. Being a starving student, I declined. Big mistake. That's why I'm still working. Kenneth Arnold. Sierra Online not only gave Richard Garriott the necessary support to carry out his project, Ken and Roberta Williams also welcomed him into their home in California. Here, together with other guests of the Williams, Richard found shelter and could concentrate on making giant strides in the programming of Ultima 2. Yet, his stay at Sierra Online's headquarters did not leave him with a good impression. He would explain, years later, that many of the same problems he had experienced at CPCC were also present at Sierra Online, and that it was hard to forgive himself for stumbling twice into the same error. In 1982, Sierra Online was already a rapidly expanding colossus in the computer gaming market. Many investors wanted to buy it. Staffing levels were constantly increasing, and the lifestyle in the chalet was, to say the least, very informal. Similar to Atari under Bushnell's leadership, parties were not uncommon, and often young programmers, suddenly independent and with a relatively well-paying and satisfactory job, had no problem indulging in alcohol consumption. Richard later recounted that there were also drugs on the Williams campus. A high-ranking employee with close ties to the principals of the company was dealing pot on the side, some of it to co-workers. Sadly, the relationship between Ken and Richard soon began to deteriorate. The first point of contention was the Spiradisk system implementation, writing data on floppies along a spiral rather than in the usual concentric circles, to protect Ultima 2 from the spread of illicit copies. Its inventor, Mark DeShano, was a brilliant hacker, but according to Ken, loved to be the prima donna of the company. Garriott, who had exchanged pirated games in the dawn of his computing life, was against the use of Spiradisk because it increased the already long loading times for the game and was unreliable. DeShano was Sierra Online's technician in charge of the anti-copy protection features. He also reaped profits personally from any game that used his copy protection and he insisted on using it, effectively blocking publication of Ultima 2. Only under great pressure, including from Chuck Boucher, Duchesneau suddenly realized that he was blocking a fellow programmer's software in order to promote his own, and eventually he gave in. However, Garriott was disturbed by the incident, and once Ken found out about Duchesneau's conduct, he went on to replace him as soon as possible. Struggling again to fit into new environments, Richard interrupted his stay at Sierra and returned home. It had been profitable, but Richard would remember it in negative terms, showing his uncompromising personality. The idol with Williams was about to end. When Ultima 2 was published, and the hoped-for success was evident, Ken considered possible strategies to exploit the popularity of the Ultima brand. 
Signing a contract with Richard had given Sierra Online much more authority over the series than just the right of republishing the first episode thereof. Meanwhile, the gaming market had radically changed with the appearance of new microcomputers like the Commodore VIC-20, entering the market in the second half of 1981 at an incredibly low price of $299.95. The VIC-20 had impressive graphics and sound capabilities. The only weakness, its 5 kilobytes of RAM, expandable with add-ons, was negated by the widespread use of cartridge games. Jack Tramiel finally had what he had always wanted, a cheap product for everyone that managed to conquer the market, selling almost 800,000 units in 1982 alone, overtaking the Apple II in a single year. In mid-1982, then, Ken Williams faced the fragmenting market with an attitude of seeing new opportunities, and he decided to use the popularity of Richard Garriott's series. Having just bought back the rights from CPCC to release Ultima, Williams decided to take it to Atari's 8-bit platform, also known as the Atari 400-800, under the name Ultima 1, the original. At the same time, Keith Zabalawi showed Williams his first work, a game in which the player had to find his way out of a maze, collecting gems and defeating monsters, programmed for the VIC-20. It wasn't a particularly brilliant game, but still attractive to Sierra as the company had not yet produced anything for this platform. There are several possible explanations for why Ken Williams said yes to Zabalawi, maybe trying to please Richard in anticipation of the games that Garriott would produce in the future and the money to be made therefrom. But it could have been simply chaos caused by the wild growth of Sierra that made Ken throw an inferior product on the market for the promising VIC-20. Unbeknownst to all, the North American video game industry was in a crazy race to an invisible chasm. However, Sierra's CEO did not completely believe in Zabalawi's product and decided that it needed a good push with a marketing trick. Riding the current success of Ultima, Williams bet on tying the game to Garriott's series. In the first Ultima, one of the points of interest represented on the maps, included in the version republished by Sierra, was Mount Drash, on the continent ruled by Lord British, located south of his castle. Williams decided that the maze could be set in the basement of Mount Drash, linking it to the fame of Ultima. In terms of gameplay, Ken did not demand any changes. The game was completed, and Zabalawi had to adapt the title, add a credit to Lord British, and the copyright of Sierra on the home screen. Apart from that, there was no real connection between this maze-running game and the RPG series whose name it bore. And unfortunately, despite being the champion in 1982, the VIC-20 would not have the future that it deserved. Jack Tramiel unleashed his offensive on all microcomputer manufacturers in 1983 with unprecedented price cuts on his new jewel, the Commodore 64, putting all other products on the market in serious trouble. The VIC-20 suffered a severe blow as well from this as its price was now almost equal to that of its much more powerful younger sibling, and then with much less to offer for the price. Its meteoric rise was nearing its end. In appreciation of their long friendship, and as a thank you for Zabalawi's help on his previous projects, Gary had agreed that Escape from Mount Drash should be published under the brand name of Ultima. It's hard to imagine nowadays such a casual use of a major brand name, but in the pioneering early 1980s, Richard didn't have any major problems with the idea and generously agreed to the use of his IP. After overcoming the legal obstacle, Ken Williams realized he had a less promising game with a high-flying name produced for a platform in rapid decline, but he had to honor the contract and also not offend Richard. So he decided to go ahead anyways and release the game, but he made sure to give the product a very limited run. Ultima Escape from Mount Drash was published in mid-1983 and, although produced in small numbers, sold even less. It was advertised only in a couple of newspapers and was hastily withdrawn from the market. 
Its sudden disappearance made the game a legend similar to that of E.T., the cartridges for which were buried in a desert. For a long time, fans and collectors failed to solve the enigma of its existence, and it would be 20 years before a badly worn copy of Mount Drash emerged from a pile of rubbish in British Columbia, Canada. The mess over Mount Drash reduced Richard's faith in the Williams even more. Soon after the Mount Drash fiasco, Ken Williams decided to bring Ultima 2 to a new platform, the IBM PC, which Gary had considered cumbersome, expensive, and underpowered, and therefore uninteresting for video games. Richard was also displeased with the contract terms for this port, but he decided it was still better having his game on another platform. However, he realized that he had had enough, and it was time to end his collaboration with Sierra. Unfortunately, he understood too late that with the contract he had signed, he had given away creative control over his games to Ken Williams. It would take several years to regain the rights and republish his first three works. In the meantime, they would remain in Sierra's hands. Ken Williams also had his own concerns. On one hand, he was beginning to become annoyed with the undisciplined behavior of programmers like DeShano. His company had grown to become a giant in the video game industry, and management wanted to bring organization into the ranks of its programmers, turning them into orderly and disciplined employees. On the other hand, the economic state of his company began to deteriorate rapidly because of the sudden and severe crisis that had affected the entire North American video game industry. The firmness with which he faced Garriott, and the low royalties imposed for Ultima 2's IBM PC port, were a direct consequence of Ken Williams' change of course towards his staff, and also a way to cope with the increasing losses of other Sierra Online productions. But there was more to it than even that. On the occasion of Sierra's 15th anniversary, Ken and Roberta Williams wrote in a short article in Sierra's Interaction magazine, dedicated to Ultima with the artwork from Escape from Mount Drash covering their version of the story. Back in the days of Ultima 1 and 2, these games were not the three-quarter overhead view graphics extravaganzas they are today. Instead, they were more like board game-like, still pieces on a map that scrolled around on screen. They were quite popular, and players seemed to love them, but Ken never really understood the real attraction. For this reason, he probably didn't treat Garriott as well as he did some of the other authors. Garriott eventually decided to start a company of his own. Garriott's rebuttal to this was much simpler. They quit paying the royalties I was due. My first publisher, California Pacific, quit paying me because the owner was a major drug user and squandered the money they owed me. Sierra also just up and stopped paying, as they had financial troubles as well. In both cases, I brought in my brother Robert to try and collect. Never could. So we went into business ourselves and started Origin. When the experience with Sierra was over, Richard needed to start working on his new game, continuing the success of Ultima 2. The Sword of Damocles, represented by the agreement with his father, looked more risky, as he had no publisher. After two negative experiences, Garriott didn't feel ready to try his luck with a third publisher. Again, he turned to his brother Robert for advice. Robert Garriott studied the situation for a long time and concluded that by proceeding with a well-targeted business plan, Richard could attempt self-publication and create his own company. To ensure success, Richard had to churn out a new title within a year, and it had to perform as well as his first three games. If he was too late, or if the game turned out to be a failure, the company would not survive, and Richard, to the satisfaction of his father, would have to return to his studies. Listening to the detailed explanations of his son Robert, Owen Gary had agreed that the project sounded reasonable. To his mind, the fad of video games should have passed already, yet it still continued. Owen said he was in favor of the project and indeed participated in the founding of the company, financing it in part. The largest share belonged to Richard, who also had the most money to invest thanks to his first three games. 
The 22-year-old had gone from creating software as an assignment in school to producing games and now to running a video game company with his brother. Richard accepted the challenge and responsibility. If the company would fail, it would go down with most of his savings. Origin Systems Incorporated was founded on March 4, 1983 by the brothers Richard and Robert and their father, Owen Garriott, and their old friend Chuck Bichet, with an initial investment of $70,000. The name was borrowed from the Origins Game Fair, a yearly exhibition of the table and role-playing games industry since 1975, showcasing the most important news on the market. In a great moment of creativity, Robert chose Origins' motto, We Create Worlds. Richard was ecstatic about it. He couldn't have said it better. The company's temporary logo was advised by Soft Talk Magazine's graphic designers, and although periodically revised, it was never completely abandoned. Despite its high-sounding name, Origin Systems Incorporated, OSI, started with a much less impressive headquarters, a small and simple building behind the Garriott residence. It was the same garage his mother had escaped to from Richard's D&D-addicted friends invading her house. Once again, she had to move her tools to make room for her son. Finally having the opportunity to work in his own way, Richard was not discouraged by the modest means and resources available. His friend Steve Jackson, after all, had started in a barn. Even technologically, his Apple II Plus was outdated. In 1983, the 2E revision came out, and the market was crowded with new computers, dominated at that time by the Commodore 64. True to his first microcomputer, Richard continued to develop for Apple II, reserving the right to have some of his collaborators do ports for other platforms. This was practical thinking as well. Having invested so much time to get proficient with the Apple II, and time being a luxury that the newborn OSI could not afford, switching to another platform as the main system for future games would have been a costly, if not devastating, decision. Richard could proceed faster on the Apple II, starting with a repeatedly reworked and optimized codebase, and then delegate the versions for other platforms, especially 6502-based platforms, which did not require recreating the code. Richard started with Ultima 2's code and tried to remedy previous mistakes. He had given too much attention to improve the game engine, resulting in a game with serious design flaws. The dungeons were skippable, players found many exploits in the hastily created mechanics, and overall the game had been plagued by many serious bugs. Knowing that the new installment had to be a success or the company would fail, Richard went on adapting in the code what he was the least convinced of, like the management of life points and statistics. Meanwhile, Robert Garriott had the difficult task of putting order into the company and making it work with the few resources it had available. His biggest problem was, being recently married, that he had moved to another state with his wife and had to commute, often taking the plane back to Texas. His frequent absences did not help his marriage and gave rise to tensions with which, sooner or later, he would have to deal. Richard and his games were central for the company's fortunes. But Garriott wasn't the only one at work. Chuck Boucher was busy with an action game called Caverns of Callisto, of course, for the Apple II. Also, Richard had brought with him a couple of trusted people when leaving Sierra. Jeff Hillhouse, who moved into a cot in the loft of the garage, and Mary Fenton, who had taken care of customer care at Sierra. In addition, Richard had called together his old friends and people he had previously relied on. So it was that Ken Arnold and Keith Zabalawi, while not joining the company's staff, helped him with his projects. Steve Jackson decided to give his friend's new venture some media coverage, writing a short extract in issue 63 of Space Gamer. Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Lord British, who's been designing computer games for several years, has formed a new software company with five other designers. Origin Systems, Inc. will publish arcade and role-playing software and eventually will expand into business and educational software markets. The first releases will include Exodus, third in the Ultima series of computer role-playing adventures, 
Garriott, and partners Chuck Boucher, Keith Zabalui, Ken Arnold, and John Kennedy are seeking freelance programmers for software game design. It's unclear who had the idea to add that last sentence, or who had decided to publish an entire ad announcing that Origin Systems Incorporated was looking for new staff, but the message was replicated in Soft Talk in May of 1983, with a challenging full-page color ad and the company's logo. Origin Systems presents a new dimension, software without equal, the ultimate in design, execution, and value, taking your machine where you want to go. We invite you to join us. 19202 Back Bay Court, Houston, Texas, 77058-713-333-4716. According to Richard, This was the actual first advertisement for Origin Systems before we even had a logo. Soft Talk Magazine made it for us to announce our existence. Address was our parents' home in Houston, Texas. Shortly after these announcements were published, a certain David Shapiro, a.k.a. Dr. Cat, showed up at Richard's garage with high expectations. There was an issue that had a full-page advertisement taken out by Origin that said, Our new game company exists, and we're going to be making Ultima and other cool games, and here we are. There was no product for sale yet. They were just announcing the company. They mentioned at the bottom they were looking for programmers, game designers, artists, writers, etc. I forget the exact list, which was a little surprising to me at the time, since games were made pretty much entirely by programmers at that time. Dr. Cat called and spoke to Richard's brother. The two agreed to meet, so he took a plane and Robert went to pick him up at the airport. It was August of 1983, and Hurricane Alicia had hit Texas hard, killing more than 20 people and devastating the city of Austin. I arrived right after a hurricane had hit the area, so most businesses had their signs blown down, and it was trickier to find things until those got replaced. The arrival of Dr. Cat was a surprise for Richard, who had not been informed by his brother about the previous phone call. Unfortunately for Dr. Cat, despite the advertisements and newspaper articles, the company was not yet ready to hire other collaborators. Although his preparation and skills did not escape Richard, Robert informed his brother that the company was unable to hire him and would not be able to do so for a long time to come. However, this fact was not explained clearly to Dr. Cat, who continued to stay first as a guest of the Garriotts and then in a hotel, waiting for a response to his candidacy. I waited for Origin to tell me what to do, and they waited for me to just start doing something. And then I ran out of money and got my mom to help me pay for a plane ticket back to Indiana. As he was driving me back to the airport, Robert said to me, I tried to hint to you on the phone that we weren't ready for you yet. And I thought silently to myself, this is business, not like teenagers dating or something. Isn't the correct approach tell rather than hint? Under pressure for success and with a hard time limit, Richard worked at a fast pace, and by August 23 of 1983, a few months after the creation of OSI, Ultima 3 Exodus was ready. The first bulk order of the new game would have been enough on its own to repay the investment and the time spent. The problem was that, as a software house and publisher, OSI had to do everything by itself, and the staff consisted of only a handful of programmers, two all-arounder employees, and Robert. The programmers had to suspend their work and start printing, packing the boxes, and copying the five and a quarter inch floppy disks. In each box, they placed a copy of The Book of Play, The Ancient Liturgy of Truth, the cleric's guide containing other information about the setting of the game in the form of an ancient prophecy, and also The Book of Amber Runes, containing the magician's arcane spells. Completing this was a cloth map of the world of Cesaria, and the advertising for Secrets of Cesaria, the clue book. It was a very rich package, with many pamphlets of more than 10 pages each, in addition to the fabric map. Free from creative constraints, Richard applied lessons learned from wizardry and from Infocom, caring about the packaging and the content and offering clue books. All the things that other publishers, apart from Sierra Online, 
were not willing to do. Now he just had to find out if it was worth it. To learn more, subscribe to Spam 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 Humbug on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on anchor.fm at anchor.fm slash podcast or at spam 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 humbug.com. To find out more about Through the Moongate, visit thera.it. That's T H E I R A dot I T. You can also find the book on Amazon. And of course, you can learn more about the book and its author at andreacantado.com. That's A N D R E A C O N T A T O dot com. A big thank you to author Andrea Cantato for not only undertaking the effort of writing through the Moongate, but also for agreeing to allow for it to be read to you in this and following Spam 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 Humbug episodes. Tune in in a couple weeks' time for the next chapter. I'm going to make some games and I'll show them to you when I'm done.